0: We need a rebel
1: Hello, everybody. We do need a revolution. Welcome to an informed life radio on 1150 AM, KKNW, and CHD TV. We are coming to you live from the Weston Price Foundation uh, annual conference. It is so fantastic here, and right on, hot on its heels is the Children's Health Defense conference. And you would not believe the energy here. The people there are. 1500 people here for this conference it's all about food and soil and life and love and the future and hope it is it is so fantastic. And so I've got this great lineup for you today. This first hour is about the soil and animals and food and healing. Second hour, we're bringing in Mary Holland because I know you've got a lot of questions you want answered about that ACIP vote yesterday. So we'll get to that in the second hour. So this first hour, though, I'm going to introduce to you this handsome gentleman sitting here right next to me. His name is Will Winter, and I just met him recently. And I'm going to let him Tell you who he is, and then we'll begin talking. You know how Bernadette talks.
2: Thank you, Bernadette. Yeah, (laughs) this is great. I'm so happy to be here and at this conference. Yeah, if we opened this door, there would be a horde of animals coming in here. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of animals, that's what I do for a living. I'm a holistic veterinarian, and I've kind of gone the gamut in all my years working with horses, working with dogs and cats. And I realized the real problem in America is what we're doing with agriculture. So, I gave up a very easy gig, and I decided to work with livestock and It was like starting over. It was like learning Mandarin Chinese. It was like uh the the rules are different, but there's so much problem, and part of the problem people have no idea where their food comes from they have you know they think you know especially children, yeah, and children uh, George Burns always said he wished he'd have known that he was going to live to be 98 or he'd have taken better care of himself when yeah. he was a child.
3: I
1: love that. And I want to say that that is so true that in, in a lot of public schools today, in the home ec, they mm-hmm. teach them how to microwave food. I know. Microwave fo- frozen yeah. food. It's Standing absurd. there
2: looking in the window in yeah. the <laughs> oven. Well, you know, it's, and I, unfortunately, didn't grow up with microwaves, but uh, I come from a farm family, but uh, my family now are, are almost dying off. I, I grew up in Kansas. And uh, all of my aunts and uncles are dead. These are farm people. And my first cousins of which I had plenty, we're not even Catholic, we're Lutherans, but uh, <laughs> we, I still have a lot of first cousins. Uh, one died two days ago and they're, they're just not dying off. And I watch them fill up their pickup with gas and they go inside and get their groceries at the quick trip. So that's just how bad it is. Uh, I wanted to mention, and maybe you've talked about this, but EMF pollution uh, from cell phones, 5G, from all types of radiation now is getting to be the biggest pollution in rural America. And what's happening is they're putting cell phone coverage into the farm. They're putting cell phone towers. I work with a lot of Amish people and they might walk out their door and look right out the door and there's a cell phone tower. So oh. they're getting microwaved and they don't even know, it. they don't even have electricity. Uh, oh. So a lot of these people were doing, were putting mitigation machines that neutralize that. I never thought as a veterinarian, I'd be talking about Engineer talk, which is like uh, radiation, pollution, stray voltage, all of those things. So it has to come into the equation. And and I'll say I won't dwell on it too long. But children have a brain that is ten to a hundred times more vulnerable to electricity, you know, mm-hmm. bad like dirty electricity than us. Their brain is more easily damaged, and then it's for life. So we don't know what's going to happen to this generation. I know you've talked about people that are getting jabbed, uh, graphene oxide uh, metals, that makes you more of an antenna. You can pick this stuff up. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're concerned. Fortunately, we do have devices. I'm even wearing a small version that protects me from my cell phone. I'm a consultant, so here's me writing with my right hand, talking on this thing all day. Mm-hmm. So this is a Defender Shield case, so it does protect. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to ever put your phone up to your head, yes. period. Period, uh, yes. And I don't. Uh, so getting away from uh, as much of that as possible. But everything starts in the foundation. So if you're building a house, what's the first thing you build?
1: Uh, The foundation. Foundation.
2: (laughs) So you can build this castle, but if you didn't have anything underneath it, it might just fall over or sink. So the soil is the foundation for plants. And again, I never thought I'd be talking about soil. It was dirt when I was in vet school. They never, it's funny, you know, here we are working with animals and we don't talk about what they're eating or how it's raised or any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, so uh, in a way, I kind of hate my profession that we've kind of turned into drug dealers that we don't, we're just sitting by the phone waiting for the the emergency to come in. We get in the fire engine, go out and put out the fire. So it's really upside down and re- what holistic, I call myself a holistic vet and I am uh, because what we work on is prevention. And just like everything else, just what, like what you're doing with the Children's Fund uh, is preventing them from getting uh, senile dementia when they're 30 or getting cancer, which is everywhere, or all the myriad of chronic diseases. And that starts with the soil. And the soil is, should be a living thing, but with factory farms, it's not a living thing anymore. The biology, we call it the soil livestock, is dead. So corn and bean ground, which is, I live in Minnesota, it's corn and beans, corn and beans, corn and soybeans. Uh, you go south, it's cotton, tobacco, peanuts. And it, like, especially with peanuts, they try to destroy the life in the soil because that creates moldy peanuts. So mm-hmm. it's like styrofoam. Uh, and uh, so when they, when they make food like this with no soil, it's not nutrient dense. So guess what? You eat a 32-ounce steak. And you're still hungry. You still want dessert.
1: So so the way it is, is we have depleted soil mm-hmm. that's sprayed with artificial chemicals. Yes. And then we have genetically modified and traditional seeds planted in that, yeah. which are treated with herbicides and pesticides. Yeah. And then it's desiccated with, with, with chemicals. That's to, a pretty
2: good description. Right? You're making me hungry. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and then we harvest all this and uh, we feed it to the animals. Uh, so then the cow eats this, uh, it gets indigestion and they give it antibiotics because it now gets E. coli sure. and all this other stuff. And then when you go get that steak at the grocery store, mm-hmm. it's, it's depleted all along the way. Right. I
2: work with hundred uh, percent grass fed beef. And I can give a guy a 12 ounce ribeye or New York strip that would normally eat that 32 ounce steak at Ruth Chris and still be hungry, still want dessert. I give them that 12 ounce grass fed nutrient dense steak. And they're like, wow, I feel, I don't think I can eat dessert. I feel great. And they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what happens when you eat a uh, hollow food that doesn't have just has cheap calories, mm-hmm. you get fat
0: uh. and you walk,
2: you go around rural America and people are so fat, they, like my family, the same thing. They can, they're so fat they can hardly walk. They take the four wheeler to the barn, you know, because they, you know, as farmers don't really exercise. And I'm not against farmers, believe me. If without farmers, we would be in serious trouble. But I, I can't really call a guy a farmer that raises GMO soybeans and corn because you can't eat it. You know, farmers don't, they should be make, making food that we can eat. So I'm lucky. i I, I really, truly have the best job in the world because I work with, Uh, sustainable regenerative farmers. And we used to to use the word sustainable. That was like the ultimate sustainable. You're keeping it like that. Well, that's the problem. You're just keeping it like that. It's still a good word, but now we call it regenerative farming because we have been on a, uh, you might say a hundred year drunk as Americans. We got here, we have 10% organic matter in the topsoil. You just throw seeds out there and you get a crop, you do it again. You throw seeds out, you get it again. Well, after 100 years of doing that, you're mining the topsoil. And that's what we call conventional ag is mining the topsoil, taking it off, taking it off, taking it off. And the only things they tend to put in is what's called NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, and uh, and potassium. And that's the jump up stuff that, you know, the synthetic nitrogen that won the Nobel Prize. Uh, for the Haberbarsch technique. And when they got uh, synthetic nitrogen, it was magic. You didn't know, have to know anything anymore. All of the stuff that your great grandpa did with uh, fallowing the land, fertilizing it with manure, didn't have to do all that stuff. It's hard when you just throw this white dust out there and you get magic jump up pills. Mm-hmm. Well, that happened in veterinary medicine and certainly our medicine. When antibiotics were developed, you didn't have to know anything anymore. Herbal medicine, homeopathy, Throw it out the window. We got this white juice that we injected in. Mm-hmm. When I got out of vet school umpteen years ago, I had a syringe of antibiotic and a syringe of vaccine. I can cure the world. I was like a superhero. Well, that didn't last very long. Yeah. I realized as a conventional vet, I was mainly just part of the problem. Yeah. And you can't have feedlots without veterinarians. There's a lot of things you can't have. You can't have lab animal medicine. You can't have zoos. You can't have rodeos. You can't have a lot of things where animals are basically exploited. So that kind of soured me on my profession. In the holistic world, we get to work with these grass-fed beef farmers, pastured pork farmers, uh, free-range chicken and eggs, raw milk. Raw milk ties this whole thing together. At West Day Price, you've probably been hearing yeah. raw milk, raw milk. Well, guess what? the only golden food that you can eat one thing and live to be a full life, hundred years old. Mm -hmm. You can't do that with cooked milk, pasteurized milk. You can only do it with raw milk. You know,
1: at the turn of the last century, Kellogg, the famous cereal by Kellogg, Uh they had actual places you could go to convalescent heal. Mm -hmm. And it was a raw milk and grape diet. They put people on. um, You know one famous
2: one that started that way? What? The Mayo Foundation, Oh wow, which is now the Mayo Clinic. They started out as raw milk doctors, and they were Irish uh, doctors that came over here. And what they would do, the big disease in 1900 was consumption or TB. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they would give you six to nine quarts of certified raw milk every day, and that's all you ate for maybe 90 days. Mm -hmm. They had a phenomenal cure rate. Uh, just with raw milk.
1: Wow. But I there was a, no money in it. There was no money in it. That's the problem, So right? with most <laughs> uh,
2: medicine, you follow the money, you yeah. know, and yeah. it's conventional yeah. ag is that and way.
1: And you know what you make me think of, do you remember the old expression, throwing out the baby with the bathwater? Yeah. So... I think mankind wanted to make life easier, simpler. Life is being a farmer is hard. Uh-huh. Raising animals is hard. Sure. And people come. Well, what if we could just do this? Mm-hmm. But not understanding the consequences of taking the shortcut of yeah. doing something like, like you said, with the nitrogen. Well, yeah, you can add this powder, and the plant looks the same. Magic. Not uh-huh. understanding how nutritionally deficient it is, and mm-hmm. how the soil is being depleted, and what that means down the road. The sure. unintended consequences of taking that shortcut and we're only now thanks to people like you and our next guest coming on really understanding how absolutely intricate and important all of these processes are And the are. chefs,
2: you know, a mm. lot of good food is chef driven. They they mm. teach people uh, about sustainable agriculture, a lot of chefs do. Mm-hmm. It's not about just being uh, how to doctor up uh, wh- wh- why one day I was talking to a chef about the grass-fed beef, and I said, it's amazing. It, it tastes You don't have to put anything on it. And he said, what in the blank you think I'm here for? So he can make <laughs> commodity Cisco truck meat taste good by doctoring it up with MSG and sauces wow. and everything, but it's basically really bad meat uh, loaded mm-hmm. with the deadly pathogens. Of, and, again, I work mostly with grass-fed beef. We don't have the deadly pathogens. You could give it to your kid, Rob. Mm-hmm. You could use grass-fed beef. It will not sustain life of the deadly salmonella, E. coli, listeria, mm-hmm. pastorella, all the the nasty pathogens. And again, I hope people will, if they, if they only learn one thing from me, it would be the word bricks. Do you know that word, B-R-I-X? No, tell me
1: that word.
2: BRICS is the nutrient density of, of a plant. Mm. So we take some sap out of any plant, and a sap of a plant is like our blood. So if I pulled some blood out of you and looked at it, it was like Kool-Aid. That's not good. Same is true of a plant. So there's a number. You, you take a drop of sap, put it on what's called a BRICS refractometer, look at it like a telescope, and you'll get a number between, let's say, three and, well, the highest I've ever seen is 22. Mm. Uh, that is, for grass, that's candy grass. The cattle just look at it and they get fat. <laughs> uh, but nutrient density uh, needs to be about 12. I have, like, for example, I have cherry trees and, and uh, grapevines. So in Minnesota in May, when the leaves first come out, I grind up some leaves, squeeze some sap out. And if it's below 12, later on, I'm going to have wormy cherries and moldy grapes because those plants are sick. So then I have two months to doctor the plant with maybe foliar feeding or lime the soil. uh, And then I'll have a healthy crop mm. so when you go to the farmer's market you can take your little refractometer out and they're going to think you're from the government you know but you'll <laughs> see five people with tomatoes and there'll be some five bricks tomatoes those will be a rotten mush ball before you get them home they don't have any flavor in it mm. they don't have any medicine in it you might see one person with 20 bricks tomatoes those are the ones you want to buy they all look alike uh you can't really see inside the tomato and this mm. will be a watermelon it could be an apple it could mm. be lettuce it could be celery but if you buy that five bricks uh, food, your kids are going to be hungry. Yeah, and it won't wow. have any flavor. I go to Italy occasionally. Italian tomatoes, they, their soil is unbelievable. Uh, Italy's 85% mountain. Mm-hmm. And that soil is constantly regenerated. Mm-hmm. It has a CEC, which is a cation exchange capacity of 35. Wow. Ours is five. So that is really heavy soil. And it's delicious. You need everything. You need the rainfall. You need the sunshine. You need some type of yeah. structure. We don't like hydroponics. You can't make hydroponic food organic. They don't certify it cuz no soil. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And
2: it's more complex than just living in juice, you know. Yeah. So gotcha. but these this plant medicine, the and, bricks.
1: And we got one yeah. more minute, okay? Okay.
2: And well, I I will that's a good thing to finish on. But what it means is that plant has medicine so it doesn't get grasshoppers, doesn't get mold, doesn't get All aphids. Those medicines translate into what keeps our cattle healthy. We don't use any vaccinations. We don't use any chemical warmers. We don't use any antibiotics because they're getting the medicine from the plants. Wow! So when we eat the yeah. plants or we eat the animals that eat it, the eggs, chicken, whatever, yeah. uh, then we stay healthy. And that's that's true medicine.
1: That's true medicine. And especially for children. I love that. That is yeah. a great place to end it. Now, if anybody wants to um, learn more about Will Winter and what you're doing, do you have a website or anything? Yeah, just
2: willwinter.com. Uh that okay. that'll get you there. Yeah, Alrighty. thank you though. Okay,
1: that is fantastic. Will Winter, thank you for this. Joining is a happy me today. program. Oh, it is. I, it's we're all, we're it's all about, about good it.
2: news, and it, there's a lot of good news. It is. Well, it's real easy to get bogged down in the bad news.
1: It is, it mm-hmm. really is. Mm-hmm. All right, well, this has been Will Winter at the Weston Price Foundation Conference. We're going to take a quick break when we come back. We got two other people we're going to be bringing. They're on the even better. Yeah, <laughs> you were pretty darn good. Yeah, so I'm just waiting to hear. We're going to get some music here from our um. Are you there, Nathan? I'm looking to see, but maybe uh, he stepped away. There we go. Thank you, Nathan. We're going to take a quick breath, uh, break. We'll be right back.
2: OK, guys.
3: Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit children'shealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit org today. Okay. Yeah, no. Here we are.
1: Are we back on? Yes, we are. Welcome back to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. This is Bernadette Pager. And yeah, you don't see me on the screen because we've got a little space here. So I've got my two guests. You're you're tired of looking at me anyway. (laughs) So I've got, let's see, I've got their names here. Monica Corrado and Amy Mahali. Mahali. Okay. And I'm going to go one by one, let you guys introduce yourselves and and just explain who you are Monica sure. why don't you go ahead
4: sure so I'm Monica Corrado I am a certified GAPS practitioner I'm a teaching chef I teach traditional mm-hmm. food and I'm also the GAPS chef so I teach mm-hmm. uh, GAPS cooking techniques for Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride in her training program mm-hmm. yes and my
5: name is Amy Mahali. I'm a family nurse practitioner and a certified GAPS practitioner so I work with chef Monica and Dr. Natasha and teach GAPS, as well as having a primary care clinic in my hometown in Colorado, um, Be Well Clinic, where we help moms get started on the journey of new food, um, helping their kids start sleeping because they feed them more fat and things like that. So we go all the way from the beginning, all the way to healing on GAPS diet, so the whole
1: spectrum of the diets. Oh, I, I so love that. Before we, we get to GAPS, I wanted if you could take a little time to talk about Weston Price Foundation and their approach to life and eating. She's like, yes, Happily. yes go for it.
4: <laughs> so I am really blessed to have met Sally Fallon. Now she's Sally Fallon Morel. But okay. I met her years ago when I lived in Maryland and she lived in DC and um, changed my life. Uh, I started teaching um, uh, traditional food cooking classes um, for weston price style we call it nourishing traditions style mm-hmm. because sally wrote that famous uh, yes, cookbook that's how i discovered <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. so so weston price foundation is really all about um connecting real people mm-hmm. all people to real food mm-hmm. food farming and the healing arts and education mm-hmm. and so um sally started the foundation in 1998 She wrote the book, Nourishing Traditions, right around the same time. Um, She said it was a cookbook to challenge the uh, diet dictocrats. Mm -hmm. And it was all about, you know, soaking and sprouting and fermentation and bone broth and, you know, butter and good fats and just traditional foods based on Weston Price, uh, who was a dentist, Uh, his research and his... um, his Dietary Principles.
1: He traveled the world. Yes. That?
4: He traveled the world and uh, he, he wrote a book that anyone who wants to know anything about how human bodies can thrive, you must read this book. Put everything else down. It's called Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. And it is timeless principles mm-hmm. of how you can be well and stay well and be healthy through food. And this is his work that he took from traveling all over the world. One of my favorite
5: things about that book is he
4: came in a time that
5: is is lost in many cultures. So he went to so many cultures and saw the line between traditional diets and modern foods and compared them. And there's very few cultures we can do that with now. So if that work was lost, and I'm so thankful he brought it because he showed so clearly how nutritional deficiencies affect our body, our fertility, our facial structure, our health, our uh, chronic disease, especially tuberculosis at that time. So having all of that um, at the exact time, and it's just, it's a lovely book. There's pictures. Everyone will enjoy it. So yeah. took I photos. also yeah. agree. Everyone should um, read that book.
4: Yeah. Yeah. So and- one more time, nutrition and physical degeneration. Mm-hmm. So all the other diets that are around now, I'm going to be a little bit <clears throat> strong. And I'm going to say that they pretty much are fads. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they're not based on these, these dietary principles that he found that were the same all over the world, like mm-hmm. all traditional peoples had animal protein in their diet, all of them, mm-hmm. right? All of them were soaking or fermenting their grains, their foods. They were using bones to make broth. I mean, there's a lot more to it, but there's 12 dietary principles, and you can find them on the westinaprice.org website.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the things that I love so much um, then about your specialty, the GAPS diet, so many people have been harmed by all the toxins and poisons in the world today, especially our children. Mm -hmm. And so tell us about sort of, for many people, it feels like a miracle when they discover the GAPS diet for their children. Yes.
6: Mm -hmm.
4: Well, GAPS, so GAPS stands for Gut and Psychology Syndrome, and now Gut and Physiology Syndrome, G-A-P-S. It was, uh, it's a diet that, um, it's a nutritional protocol, really. It's not just a diet. That Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride, who is here, are so happy. <laughs> she is here. She came all the way from the UK, right? We are yeah. thrilled. <laughs> um, anyway, she uh, was told, she's a medical doctor with two master's degrees in nutrition and neurology, and she had a son who was diagnosed with autism years ago now because the book was written, her first book was written in 2004. She's written four books since, or three more books since, sorry. Um, Anyway, so yeah, she was told as a mom that her son had autism and there was nothing that they could do except put him on drugs, and we know that that's not the first place moms go. (laughs) I mean, why? Right. So she started digging and looking and saying, what else is that? What's possible? And uh, she found Elaine Godshaw's diet, the specific carbohydrate diet, SCD, which was written. She took that as a foundation. And then I like to say she put it on steroids. <laughs> it's kind of a joke because of course not, but yeah. she added all these things to it. Like, like meat stock, don't make bone broth. Okay. Sorry. Meat stock and fermented foods and, Long cultured dairy, which were and, and animal fats, all these things that were not in the SCD that really makes GAPS uh, stand alone. Except we wanted to make the point that uh, the GAPS diet is really the healing diet, if you will. It is an extension of Weston A. Price diet or the Wise Traditions diet, or the you know, because real um, food. it's real traditional. Food it's traditional food, yeah. it's all traditional cooking, yeah. right? But it has certain nuances that we do mm-hmm. uh, uh, to make it really therapeutic based. Mm-hmm. So we like to call Weston Price the well diet, mm-hmm. right? The being well diet. And we like to call GAPS the therapeutic diet. And they're really well connected. And yeah. yeah.
5: In one example, you said don't do bone broth. And you don't mean you don't like bone broth. No. You mean when you're doing GAPS. Yeah. Meat stock, that short, cooking collagen rich yes. rich rich food is what heals your leaky gut yeah. bone broth is lovely but yeah. we don't do it right away no. we do it after we heal and so that's a nuance that you learn the protocol being able to work yeah. on that that's what you're going to look at that's right
4: yeah sorry bone broth but <laughs> for our people the reason we don't do bone broth for people on gaps mm-hmm. is that if you have a leaky gut you're going to have a leaky brain mm-hmm. and uh, bone broth is very high in glutamic acid so glutamic acid is an excitotoxin that can trigger nervous systems, nervous system symptoms, say that even once, <laughs> nervous <laughs> system symptoms. Um, it can trigger those. And so we don't do bone broth until there's a lot of healing that's happened. We really wow. do short cooked meat stock. Yeah.
1: Okay. That is fantastic. It's a nuance, but it's really important. Yeah. yeah. Do could, could you give us an example of like a healing story of, of somebody that you met and you took them through the SCAPS diet and, and how that happened. Can I just tell one that's really
4: short yes, and then I'll let two. you do a long okay. one? It's because this is so cool. Okay. You've heard this one before, I think. So a long time ago, probably 10 years ago now, because I moved to Colorado 11 years ago. So it was right after I got there. I was doing some phone consultations before we had to do them. Anyway, I was doing some phone consultations <laughs> with, with some people back east, which I had moved from the D.C. metro area. And I had a gal call in and she said, I don't know what to do. My daughter is on the autism spectrum. You know, she is nonverbal. She was three years old, no talking, no nothing. What do I do? And so um, at the time, I just said, because of the level of stress in the home that I was feeling from her voice, what she was telling me, I said, you know what? How about this? Take out all the processed foods, She said, even the gluten-free stuff? I said, especially the (laughs) gluten-free stuff, because if it's processed, the sugar in those things is just not good for anyone. So I said, take out all the processed foods and add in meat stock, okay? Like, no sugar. We took out all processed food, no candy, no sugar. So we did the take out, which GAPS has certain things that we do not have, mostly because they'll feed pathogens. Mm -hmm. So we take out all the sugars um, for a while good while Mm -hmm. and I said just do meat stock and I said see if you can get her to have a cup or two a day that's a lot for a little three-year-old but you know see take your time but so that was the only consultation we had the only one okay so three years later she comes out to my cooking for well-being training program because I teach people how to cook this way and I overhear her talking with some of the students and she said oh yeah she said I I had one consultation with Monica And um, I did this with meat stock. And she said, we did it for about three weeks. We did it for about three weeks. (laughs) Three weeks. (laughs) This is a nonverbal child who would wake up screaming every day. Okay. Like every day of her life. And so what happened one morning, she says, one morning we're in bed, she and her husband, and they're waiting, you know, for the scream, the scream wake up call. Didn't come. In fact, the child got out of her bed. Walked into her parents. It makes me cry every
1: time. <laughs> I'm about to cry myself.
4: Walked into her parents' room, jumped in their bed, which she had never done because she was always screaming in her bedroom, and they had to go get her and try to console her, which they couldn't do. Whatever, and uh, she got in their bed and she said, "Good morning." Oh my goodness! <laughs> I was like, I literally burst into tears. That is all we did. So that's all we did was take out the crap. Pardon me that and put in meat stock. I mean, we didn't even do the whole protocol. Mm. So this is powerful stuff, folks. powerful
1: stuff. Give us the recipe for meat stock,
4: meat stock. Okay. Meaty bones, um, which are, uh, could be a chicken. Meaty bones are like uh, bones with meat. So bones with joints, bones with cartilage, bones with meat, bones with connective tissue. Chickens are wonderful because they have skin yes. and cartilage they must be at least organic if you can get it pasture-raised. Organic mm. is one of the things that we have that are, um, it's, a, it's a protection right now. It's not perfect, but it is all we've got yeah, in terms of food. Yeah. So we get um, meaty bones, so it could be chicken, any any kind of meaty bones. A chicken, it could be short turkey, ribs. it could be short ribs, it could be shanks, it could be lamb, it could be any of these things. Meaty bones, water to cover by one to two inches a handful of peppercorns literally that is the basic thing for meat stock now you can put onions in you can put carrots in you can put zucchini in you can put whatever you'd like no celery you can put in all these vegetables but the reality is you don't need them for meat stock yeah. they're
1: extra so the difference between this meat and bone broth sure. is that there's the meat
4: well if there are meaty bones versus bony bones that's mm-hmm. what I those okay. are my terms okay so meaty bones versus bony bones so here's an example a meaty bone would be the entire shank, beef shank, which I call, because I'm Italian, uh, I call it an osso buco cut, mm-hmm. right? It's the shank. You get the meat and the little marrow bone, but it's a big piece of meat with connective tissue. And then a bony bone is the marrow bone all by itself. Mm-hmm. There's no meat on the marrow bone. I mean, there's great things in a marrow. We love marrow bones, but that's the difference. Mm-hmm. So the things about meat stock and bone broth, the differences are, Meaty bones in meat stock with a lot of connective tissue, right? And and cartilage and joints and things like that. Bony bones and bone broth. That's the first thing. You can use some meaty bones, but mostly it's bony bones. So the bones are different and the time is different.
1: Okay. Explain the time. Meat
4: stock is going to be for chicken. It'll be uh, an hour and a half to three hours at the outside, right? Bone broth when you're making chicken bone broth. It's eight to twenty-four hours. Mm-hmm. That's right out of nursing traditions, by the mm-hmm. way. That's Sally's, you know, yeah. thing. So so again, and if you go this is the big one I love to talk about this one, which is <laughs> beef bones ready, beef meaty bones, you're gonna do four to six hours. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing beef bone broth, it's twenty-four to seventy-two hours. Mm-hmm. They're totally different ball games. And I like to talk about meat stock being the one pot meal that heals. Mm-hmm. Like it's a meal. You get to eat the meat. Like once you're done seventy two hours or fifty hours or forty-eight hours of beef bone broth, you're not gonna eat that meat. It there's nothing left. It's no. bliss, horrible. Mm-hmm. You know, and you throw out the you throw out the vegetables and you you know, but meat stock is really something that you can eat straight out of the pot. Okay. Yeah. Very good. And, and no yeah. vinegar. No vinegar in meat stock. That's absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Yeah. I forgot that piece because yes. I never talk about it anymore. Yeah. Anyway. Yes, bone broth gets vinegar because the vinegar pulls the minerals mm-hmm. out of the bones, right? You can't pull minerals out of a piece of meat. Mm-hmm. Make sense? Right. So there's no vinegar in meat stock, only in bone broth. Okay. No and need to soak in vinegar. Okay. No need to wait, all that stuff.
1: I, I'm going to make some when I get home just because uh, I've got a yes, new. Got you are. So Start feeding it to my family once a week. Yes. Yeah? Okay. Well, yeah. Yes. yes. Um, And then you have a story.
5: Yes, us a story. was a little short story. That's good. Yeah, I was thinking about what it was. I think I want to settle on a story that is in progress, right? There's so much good in healing. And sometimes we can get discouraged when it's not perfect or we don't have a three-week miracle story. And we can think, is there something wrong with me? Is the food not working? And one of the things that I have um, settled with, and one mom comes to mind, just lovely, lovely mom um, got her baby to me. Four months old, I believe, with FPI's diagnosis, which is a severe allergic reaction to any protein. These kids often end up with feeding tubes for their whole life. Um, sometimes grow out of it, sometimes don't, and and sometimes die yeah and just failure to thrive and so it is a really really tricky thing um there is actually a new part of gaps uh no plant gaps developed to help these kids heal and thrive and it works and it's so great so this lovely about five-year-old boy now has eaten maybe two inches of vegetable ever in his life because we keep trying it five he, years old sorry go ahead. he is thriving he's bright-eyed beautiful little boy and he can't do new foods. He can't eat traditional, you know, crap food that kids will eat or vegetables. But why, why would he, right? He's, he's thriving. He's healthy. He's happy. He's strong. He doesn't get sunburnt. He is just lovely. And so that idea of. What is he eating? He's He's eating meat stock. Meat stock. He eats meat. Meat stock. He eats fat, a lot of fat. Um, What sort of fat? Let's talk about the fat. Talk about fat. What kind of fat? yes. So fats that are good, are animal fats, are especially healing and filling into our bodies. And this is both a Weston A. Price principle to talk about and gaps. Because food that heals you is the same no matter what you're you're, doing. Which way you're doing it. Yep. So lard, tallow, goose fat, duck fat, chicken fat, um, as well as your dairies. So butter, creme fraiche. Ghee. (laughs) Ghee. Right. So lovely. Um, Plant oils or fats are okay, but they don't build our bodies very well. So they're good for cleansing is a small amounts if you need them, but it's not, it's not the focus. And on that, for that kid, he doesn't eat them, right? He doesn't do plants at all. And you don't, you don't need them. You don't need the plant oils to grow a brain. Um, he grew from four months to five years, right? With animal products exclusively, um, fermented dairy, very minimally, mostly it is literally meat, Meat stock and fat that and is liver, right? His whole life, a lot Lots of liver, of organ meat. A lot of liver is definitely one of his favorite foods. He loves it. Um, it's it's so rich. Tongue is one of my favorite foods to tell moms to make for their kids. Tongue, uh, cow tongue, is up to sixty percent saturated fat. The meat is so you're feeding meat, collagenous, um, connective tissue, meat and fat in a package. You don't have to have it um extra or on top or in a different way. So I love tongue. Mm, I drool when I talk about tongue. <laughs> hey, so delicious. Not here. We're on camera. <laughs> um, so tongue is so lovely It's an organ meat. Um, and there are lots of organ meats, lots heart. of ways to prepare them. Heart is lovely, close to a muscle. So a lot of kids um you can cut heart meat or grind it up and put it in chilies. Can't even tell. Once Burgers. there's a little spice, nothing. Meatballs liver can be hidden but it's a little stronger um but you don't always have to hide right especially when you start your baby young they love livers are favorite food most people super food liver sauerkraut they fight for the favorite top foods
4: so can i just jump in there so two things or one thing that both weston price and gaps are so strong on is nutrient dense foods or are nutrient dense foods nutrient dense foods Mm -hmm. it's the exact opposite of everything that people are eating not everything but certainly the standard american diet is nutrient deficient foods they are not full of nutrients at all so we love to talk about things like liver and egg yolks from pastured hens eating bugs right Mm -hmm. liver from grass-fed cows and pastured chickens right those types of things Um, And certainly lots of good butter. Yeah. Will Winters was just talking about that density test. Bricks.
5: But you can test that yourself because you can taste it. Not maybe as accurately or specifically as he was talking about. So the bricks is awesome. Yeah. But we all have eaten an apple in the middle of winter that tasted like cardboard and an apple fresh off the tree that is lovely. The difference of that is nutrition. That's right. That is why liver, for example, is so strong. And this was helpful to me as I started doing liver to realize, oh, the liver isn't gross. It is strong because it's full of nutrition. That's right. And foods that are strong, they have flavor. You don't need spices. Spices can be fun and lovely and it's totally fine. But when you have a steak and you have to cover it with a steak sauce, like Will just said, then you don't exactly you that. There's not enough nutrition in there right flavor is nutrition and that was a huge principle and oh, everyone Christ. can take that everyone can take that take your foods at the supermarket which is it's better to shop with farmers so please do farmers as much as possible and yeah, no food at the supermarket so. not not really no nutrition there um but take your food try it out taste it eat it what is your body telling you it's probably going to have more nutrition um, from a farm already, and then you can start learning the difference between food with nutrition
4: and food without. Yeah. Just use those senses. We've got them. Yeah. Right. Eyes, nose. Is this right? Like you yeah. can't even smell supermarket apples, yeah. like apples off the
1: tree. You smell. Oh, apple.
4: Yeah. Yeah. No. That's true. Yeah. So eyes, nose, taste. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Now talk. Have you ever had a circumstance where you've got somebody older who is already eating a lot of bad food and it can be very hard to change. Can you talk about that and transition from mm-hmm. bad food to good food and sure. the time it might take? Sure. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Sure. Um, I work with that a lot actually,
5: and both in kids or older kids as well as adults. Um, one of the things that is so interesting in our culture is how sugar addiction is not listed in the dsm four as an addiction, but it is, has all the same properties. And so when we have um, sugar addiction that's happening in a child or an adult, there are so many behaviors that go, which we would think of. Um, You you have to get your hit. You sacrifice your family in order to get the thing you need. Um, Relationships go by the wayside. You manipulate people around you. And when we realize that we are being manipulated by our bodies and by the food companies that put uh, chemicals into the food to get you to eat their brand, right? We always crave the brand of XYZ company brand um, instead of the you know, st- store version. Why? There is a chemical in there that tells you, hey, keep eating me. So when you have abnormal gut flora, when you have chemicals that you're eating in processed food, and when you have uh, certain imbalances that happen, we won't go into those because um, there's a lot, you will get cravings that are inaccurate So, this innate system actually gets hijacked. So, we can no longer crave food. For adults, that's actually easier. It was hugely motivating for me to say, I don't, no one gets to tell me what to do. I want to heal my body. I'm not going to listen to my cravings. And it got me over that hump. Now, how did I do that? Slowly. Um, A lot of people need to do it slowly. And that is good. It's not even okay. It's actually good. Yeah. The more you have um, become abnormal in your eating and your, removed from good food the harder your body the faster your body will heal as you introduce good foods which can be overwhelming to you if we heal too fast we can be overwhelmed we'll have detox we'll get nauseous you'll get headaches and people go i can't eat that good food because it makes makes me me feel bad (laughs) and they're actually detoxing so i recommend pick one thing meat stock once a week like you said lovely make a pot of stock everyone gets a mug at dinner it, it's doable you can start putting it into yeah. your life do fermented foods and at breakfast everyone gets a bite of a bite. sauerkraut it's right true. um do you a lot of people actually don't recommend or even sometimes you can't make someone or let someone but i kind of don't let them start on intro of the gaps diet if they are coming straight from standard american because it's too rough it's too strong it's too hard they will heal unless they can go lay on a beach for the next two months with people cooking them food and helping them into detox baths, which none of us have, <laughs> it's better to not. It's better to go slow. Add one thing. You're not wasting time. That bite of probiotic is changing your gut flora. That mug of meat stock is helping your body heal. Heal
4: and seal Every single gut.
5: time. Yeah. And then once enough healing's done, you can jump into, okay, let's just be in the healing mode, um, and, it's, and it's gentle the whole way. So it's my favorite thing to do. So yeah. don't be discouraged. Do
4: you, yeah. yeah. Did you want me to say a little bit yes. about that? So I also find that one of the easy thing, easiest things for people to do is to go from, um, what can we say? Conventional brands to organic brands. Mm-hmm. Like that's an easy swap. That's mm-hmm. no, I mean, that is like a big deal for your body in terms of limiting toxins. Yeah. So let's say, and, and what are the top things that we need to do that in fats like butter, mm-hmm. right? Eggs, right? Butter, eggs, meat. Those are things we want to really, you know, again, take one thing and start swapping them out. Okay. So I'm not going to buy the store brand or, you know, Walmart butter anymore or whatever. I get it at Walmart, whatever. I'm going to go and get organic grass fed butter. So that's an easy swap. Everybody eats butter. I mean, if you're eating butter, if you're not eating butter, then maybe move butter in from your plant buttery spread margarine stuff. Which we do not, any of us uh, uh, support or right, recommend. No. But you can make a swap like that, like for eggs. You know, I know. Um, you know, there are people they sell what eighteen pack of eggs for a ninety eight somewhere. Oh, that is not food, folks. You don't want those eggs, and they will cause you problems. Mm-hmm. You want to get eggs from the from the farmer, eggs, you know, that have been from pastured hens. So I like to really start there even of like, what can you start just swapping out? Go from the crappy brand, oops, conventional brand to like a better quality brand Mm -hmm. and then do things like this. Yeah. Make Mm -hmm. one pot of meat stock a week, make, you know, start adding in some healthy animal fats. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
5: Right. Right. I tell people if they give me, they'll say, I'll do one thing. Yeah. I say, okay, eat fat on everything that you eat.
3: And make sure
4: it's from pastured Pastured, animals. Good quality. Right. And organic, if you know that too. And, you know, we can, Amy and I both teach, how do you make your own tallow? Easy peasy. How do you make your own lard? Easy peasy. I mean, this is easy. These are things our grandparents, grandmothers and great grandmothers did. This is going back to traditional food. That's what, you know, this, there's nothing new here, folks. It's it's new to us because we weren't trained that way, because microwaves came in in the 1980s and all, yep. all of a sudden became the way yep. to be. And yep. the reality is we're just going back to what's always worked. Mm-hmm. Saturated animal fats mm-hmm. work. Pastured eggs work. Mm-hmm. Broths and stocks work. Mm-hmm. Soaking your beans and your grains work. Mm-hmm. You know, all these things. Fermented foods right? Dr. Natasha will say, and so will Sally, you know, lacto-fermented foods are not optional for humans. They are a necessity. Every person needs to eat fermented foods. We have to have them and we have to have them every day. Now, as Amy was saying, we start with a bite. Mm -hmm. I don't Mm -hmm. want anybody running out and like eating a quart of sauerkraut because they're all gung-ho and then they say, oh my God, these people are nuts and Mm -hmm. I'm sick. (laughs) No, 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 no,
1: right? I, and I love that because you have to start slowly. It yep. makes it so much easier and doable. Mm-hmm. Yep. So for the, the last a bit of time here, I want you to talk about websites people can go to, classes they can take, mm-hmm. books you may have yep. on the subject. Mm-hmm. Yep. How can yep. people get more information and start doing this? So the first thing I would do is,
4: you know, we'll start from the beginning. Go to westonaprice.org for all the information on Weston Price, right? Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, the Wise Traditions podcast. Go there. So many articles. Articles articles. and journals and join the foundation because it's totally volunteer. Like it's all member. Pardon me, I I misspoke. It's totally membership driven, period. Membership driven. Um, Go to gaps.me, which is Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride's website. She talks all about what is GAPS and how does mm-hmm. it work. And you can find certified GAPS practitioners on that website. You can find certified GAPS coaches. We're both practitioners. Mm-hmm. You can find coaches there. You can find help there. Yeah. Uh, there's also gapstraining.com, which mm-hmm. has courses that have been put together. Amy just did a fabulous course called Getting Started with on GAPS. Mm-hmm. Sorry, G-S-O-G. Yes. right? Which is yes. wonderful. There's a baby gaps course. Like what do you do with babies? How do you get them to be well when they were born not well and all mm-hmm. that good stuff. And, um, yes. And there's one on EMFs and there's one on enemas and there's, mm-hmm. oh, there's, uh, ah, fussy eating yeah. course. So that's that. And that's then, a
1: huge one. too. Big
4: course. Love yep. it. And then yep. Amy and I both have websites. Mine is simply being com. Mm-hmm. simply being com. People can also see me Every Tuesday, I do a Facebook Live called Ask the Gap Chef. That would be me. Anything you want, come to my group. I do it. And then I post those on YouTube under Monica Corrado. So people can find out, like, what are the detox baths? And what about, what is kefir? And why does it matter? And like little teachings Mm -hmm. that anybody can get. And I also have books. Um, my book is The Complete Cooking Techniques for the GAPS Diet. Mm-hmm. It is um, the required text for certified GAPS practitioners mm-hmm. and coaches mm-hmm. to teach them how to cook. Mm-hmm. And Amy yeah. has books and a website,
5: so go yes, there. Yes, I do. My website is bewellclinic.net, so bewellclinic.net. Um, And we also have a YouTube channel. I do a lot of classes and record them. So if you want to hear me talk for an hour or more or less, I have shorter videos too. (laughs) I have long videos and short videos. And a lot of moms tell me they listen to them while they're cleaning. Yeah. So there's a lot of teaching, a lot of just concepts of how do you heal the skin? We had fires in Colorado a few years ago. How do you heal the lungs, right? Yeah, so yeah. talking about food and what's happening with the food. Yeah. So bewellclinic.net yeah. um, and then our YouTube channel and and socials and all of you that, know. of course. Find us. Um, my book is called Notes from a GAPS Practitioner, yeah. and it is really a companion to the GAPS book. I have one chapter only that briefly talks about GAPS because you should get Dr. Natasha's books. Yes. But it's more about how do you implement this? How, what does it make sense? All the questions I had been getting a lot for my first few years of practice, I put into a book. A lot of people have told me it's a beginning book. So definitely a good place to get started. Um, And I have some journals as well for helping you go through if you want to track symptoms. So those are great. Um, Other websites that I'm thinking of, um, there's, there are good, it's really good to get connected with a chapter leader. With the Weston West Foundation Advice, yeah. or a gaps coach or practitioner if you're looking for that yes. um, there are courses but we really recommend that you work with someone this is new if your grandma didn't teach you or your mom didn't teach you like traditionally we would have had it is okay that you need someone to teach you that has mm-hmm. always been true um, so some people learn from online or reading blogs but it is okay to need someone to teach you and most of us do yeah
1: so, and you know I think um COVID has really taught us or the approach to COVID where they tried to separate us, how much we need each other. We need the community and we need to pass the knowledge from person to person. And, and food is so important. And we can get back to those rituals. Mm -hmm. You know, I love the idea of cooking in the kitchen with people Mm -hmm. I love and, and bringing that love into the food preparation process. It's, it's very exciting. I'm going to check to see, I think we have, we've got about, Uh, four more minutes here, though. So if you've got any little nuggets left that you would like to deliver, go for it.
4: I have one thought.
1: Okay. Can I I do that? Mm -hmm. Okay. So a lot of people come to
4: GAPS um, and say, I can't do GAPS because it has dairy and I'm allergic to dairy. Okay. And they think that's a barrier. And the reality is, and I say, really? I'm sorry. Uh, but just let, letting you know that GAPS heals that allergy.
5: Mm-hmm. Right. It and did so, for me. And
1: are you talking about anaphylactic allergy? It,
4: it can, heal- can. Yes, we have had anaphylactic an- allergies yeah. healed. Yes. Yeah. Now, we're not saying to like go and like try a food. If you have an anaphylactic allergy, we're not saying like introduce that food. What right. we're saying is, and Dr. Natasha would say also, do the diet for two years, which is the commitment. Mm-hmm. It's a two-year commitment, which I say, yeah, but well, you know, you're gonna minimum <laughs> minimum two-year commitment. And once you get in it, you love it, and yeah. you feel better, and you don't yeah. want to get off anyway. And it's really just about eating French food without the the bread, no baguettes. <laughs> Everything else you're gonna have, right? Yeah. Butter, cream. But yeah. in any case, I like to let people know, you know, there is cultured dairy on GAPS. It's one of the fundamental pieces of the GAPS diet. Um, people will say, "I'm lactose intolerant," and I say. Great, because there's no lactose on GAPs. So the way that we, this is a nuance, the way that we work with cultured dairy on GAPs, right, is Mm -hmm. creme fraiche and kefir and yogurt is long fermentation, long culturing will um, take care of the lactose. And then many, many people are just fine. Mm -hmm. And then many, many people after doing GAPs for a while can, yeah. I I have a a client I work with um, who has, passed seven anaphylactic allergy challenges Seven yep he's got six more to go and she's gonna do it and, she, and it's all the gaps died. Wow and she's gonna write it up and we've got to get that out there that yeah. she's always talking about moms do not be afraid do not l- he- do not let them tell you that food doesn't matter. Do not let them tell you that food doesn't heal yeah. mm-hmm. it works it works anyway yeah. i get all upset no that's that's fantastic any, Not any um last words yeah
1: no i it is so lovely how food connects oh. us to our bodies how that's a great way to end i was a little short on there and i hear that we've got the music coming. Yeah, great so, say that again food. food connects us to our bodies it connects us to the healing potential of our bodies fantastic well monica and amy it's such a delight i'm in tears having met you i love this yeah so i'm gonna come around and come around and come in the middle and say goodbye so okay so you've been listening to an informed moment and we're going to take a break and then we'll come back with mary holland stay
0: tuned
7: (laughs) if you're looking for a publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day then look no further than The Flame Paper. The Flame Paper is written for the people, by the people, who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it health care, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com.
1: During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more,
2: Org. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life radio and visit the website informedchoice.org. Law.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informchoicewa.org today.
1: Hello, hello, we do need a rev, Now I just, the word went out of my head. We need a revolution. I almost said resolution, but you know what? Maybe we do need a resolution, a resolution to do better, to live better, to have better communities, better food, better soil, better government, better elected officials. I mean, we could go on and on, right? This is Mary (laughs) Holland with me now. So yeah, this is, did I say Inform Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and streaming to CHD TV? We're an hour two. I am so excited, the energy here in Knoxville at the Convention Center. We are at the Weston Price Foundation annual conference. There's 1,500 people here in attendance. And these people are all about real health, real food to get to real health, the soil, the food. If you miss that first hour, please go back and listen. It was fantastic information. Um, this hour, we know everybody wants to know what the heck is going on. The ACIP, People who never even heard of the ACIP before are going, I heard the CDC voted to add the COVID shots to school requirement. You know, there's a lot of misunderstanding of what just happened. So Mary Holland, who's president of uh, Children's Health Defense, and that conference is about to start just Sunday is the beginning of that one. It's gonna be an amazing conference here in Knoxville. Um, Mary is an attorney. She's president of Children's Health Defense. She's gonna take us through what this entity is, the ACIP, and explained what happens. So go ahead Sure, hi. So ACIP stands for Advisory Committee
6: on Immunization Practices. And this is um, an allegedly independent advisory body to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. It's really not very independent all those people basically have a lot of ties to big pharma they work at universities that get big grants from the cdc but they are at least administratively somewhat separate
1: and i want to add that they announced that they have added a representative from the for the pharmacy industry to the voting board and there's no conflicts of interest. Yeah, they, they all say, they, they go
6: through this sort of like, it's like a chorus. There are no conflicts of interest, which is absurd right?
1: I, I, I just have to ask, though, how does somebody who works with the pharmacy industry, all they do is make money on buying and selling drugs and vaccines? How do they not have a conflict of well, interest? Well, Bernadette, I was just,
6: I just <laughs> came from dinner where we were all saying that literally this meeting was theater of the absurd. I am very proud that uh, Dr. Merrill Nass, a science and medical advisor to Children's Health Defense, live blogged both full days of the ACEP meetings on Wednesday and Thursday. And you can go back and read her transcript, which actually is funny. It's it's not easy to make these sort of bureaucratic meetings with paint drying on the wall funny and entertaining, but she does. But at any rate, yesterday, um, in the midst of talking about the chikungunya vaccine and the dengue vaccine and, and other vaccines, they slipped in with literally no science, no real review, no looking at adverse reports. They slipped in a 15 to 0 vote of the ACIP committee members uh, to approve the, to to recommend, I shouldn't say approve, to recommend the COVID shot to the childhood schedule. And that schedule is now going to be, the, the CDC already has this schedule up on their website. And they're saying that this will be really, they'll, they'll really focus on this as of February. It doesn't look, so, and let me explain how this works. So a, a sort of nominally, this the FDA, nominally what happens is the FDA approves, they, they authorize, and then they license shots, and then the CDC recommends them, and then the states mandate them. And many states in the United States will essentially mandate for the school-age population any shot that the CDC recommends. That's been true up until now. Um, not every state is, a, you know, states are not obliged to do that. There are some that definitely will not mandate this shot. Governor DeSantis of Florida has already said, I will not mandate this. This is a parental decision. But many, many, um, many states already by law have to put on the schedule what the CDC's ACIP committee recommends. So the likelihood, I think, Bernadette, is that, and, and let me, one of the things that we often point out is Right now, the COVID shots are all emergency use authorization. That means that there is blanket liability protection under something called the PrEP Act from 2005 that Congress passed. The healthcare providers, the manufacturers, um, the government planners, all of them basically except in the absolutely most remote way, they cannot be sued for anything that happens. If you die, tough luck. Uh, If you're maimed for life, tough luck. They're completely scot-free. But the emergency, although it's lasted two and a half plus years, it's lasted far longer than the two weeks we were told to flatten the curve, Um, the emergency presumably can't go on forever for COVID, especially as essentially it's endemic and people are not really, it's not a pandemic anymore. Um, So they have to, to keep liability protection. In order to get that liability protection, it has to go on the childhood schedule and then it gets put on, then it is covered. Covered by the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act, and it's put on the table of um, vaccines for the under under the 1986 Act. So, what this, what the CDC did, initiates that process there's still several steps that have to happen. Um, This has to be published in the federal record. There has to be several months that transpire. There has to be some comment period. But basically what the CDC did yesterday, the ACIP committee did yesterday, was to initiate the process towards likely trying to get COVID shots on the school schedule starting in the fall of 2023. And by all appearances, they were rather vague, but by all appearances, they're looking towards this Bernadette being an annual shot, maybe more often than annual, maybe more than once. But this is at least an annual shot, much like the flu shot. And let me just point out, um, in tiny, tiny, tiny print at the bottom of the CDC page that they put up on Monday before the A's of committee voted, um, it has the the chart for monovalent and bivalent COVID shots for children from six months of age to 18. Tiny print at the bottom, it says, well, there's this remote risk of um, heart, <laughs> heart failure, uh, heart inflammation, myocarditis, pericarditis. It's, it's, of course, not a trivial risk at all. It's in very fine print. Um, it's absurd. And then at the top of this schedule that the CDC has, it says um, th- these vaccines can be co-administered with anything else. There is literally no science, none, nada, nothing to suggest that it is perfectly safe to administer an MMR at the same time as a COVID shot or a DBT and a flu and a polio shot together with a COVID shot. And yet the tragic reality is that that is likely what will happen, Bernadette, to people who are ignorant. So knowledge is power. Um, No children need these COVID shots. Over 85%, I believe, of children already have natural immunity. There's no upside for them in getting this shot. And there are lots of known downsides, like the myocarditis risk, like an autoimmunity risk, like neurological harm risk, but there's also unknown risks. We really don't know because these shots have not been around for very long. So anyway, that's a yeah. brief overview.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for that. And I've got uh, more questions, but there was a couple of things, um, you know, we're all hearing of young people dropping dead suddenly, young adults, yes. older adults. But I just, I got an email from somebody that I know who's little boys in the fourth grade and an, an email went out. Yes from the school saying, we, we we're we sorry to tell you that one of your classmates just died suddenly and unexpectedly. When has this ever happened? It's I mean, awful. we heard about kids being in car accidents and stuff, and sometimes that happened. But no, you never heard of children unexpectedly just no, dying. Yeah. I, I wanted to read before we go further... Um, last night I was up and just before midnight, just before the closing, where you could give public comment to the federal register that would go to this advisory committee. The vote had already happened. You know, and those of us who are so busy in the movement, we're pushing out action alerts and we're doing stuff. Sometimes we forget to take that action ourselves. So I was late in getting in this comment. And I, um, I work both with Informed Choice Washington and now the Tennessee Coalition for Vaccine Choice. So I decided to write a joint letter, and this is what I wrote. So if you don't mind me reading this. So it was to the the ACIP committee, CDC, HHS. On behalf of the nonprofit organizations, Informed Choice Washington and the Tennessee Coalition for Vaccine Choice, I am submitting this comment so that our outrage regarding your betrayal of the children of these United States will be part of the public record. On May 12th, 2021, when ACIP voted to end restrictions around co-administration of COVID-19 shots with other vaccines in the absence of any safety studies, making every child in this nation an unwitting test subject, we knew it was over. Your capture by the biological pharmaceutical industry was complete and there was no vaccine or product ineffective enough Dangerous enough or untested enough that you would not consider recommending it to the public. Today, when you voted unanimously to add the experimental COVID-19 shots to the CDC's recommended pediatric schedule, despite the absolute failure to prevent infection or transmission, their rapid decline into negative efficacy, and the massive risk to health they pose, you betrayed us. And you began to fulfill your promise to industry to move their products from the liability shield of the PrEP Act and the Countermeasures Injury Compensation Program into the liability shield of the 1986 Act and the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, signaling you are willing to use this nation's children as human liability shields. History will look back on this as one of the darkest days for humanity, but we will not comply, and we will not stand by silently. Our numbers are growing exponentially. We will educate, advocate, and legislate until scientific integrity in public health agencies is established and the entire system is redesigned to ensure the health of the people of this nation and the health of our great republic are restored. We pray for you all sincerely. Informed twist Washington and Tennessee Coalition for Vaccine Choice. So that's what I sent off last night just before midnight.
6: Good for you. Beautifully said. (laughs)
1: Um, so Mary, I want to ask you. During the ASIP meeting, somebody asked, "Is it legal to add emergency use authorization?" Mm-hmm. So explain to, uh, and and they were told that they referred to their attorneys, and their right. attorney said yes. And I I right. say BS. Yeah. So explain that. So so.
6: I have to say, I, I read part of the transcript. I did not have the opportunity to listen to the whole thing, and I was confused myself. Did the person ask the Department of Justice, or did the person ask the Office of General Counsel of the CDC? And my understanding, Bernadette, is that the when the question was asked, the answerer at the on the ACIP committee said we consulted with the CDC's Office of General Counsel, and they said it's no problem. Um, this is unprecedented. Uh, certainly there are absolutely serious questions here. Remember that the advisory committee is just that, it's an advisory committee. So there's nothing, this does not per se create law. So I think they're probably right that the advisory committee can recommend something. Is it wise? Is it pre- you know? Is there any precedent for it? No, it's unwise. There's no precedent for it. But I think they can recommend it. I think what's likely, though, Bernadette, which I'm very excited about, as we've already seen from the governor of Florida, there's going to be an enormous amount of pushback on this, not only from parents who are not giving their kids these COVID shots, but also from legislators who say, well, wait a minute, this is still an experimental product. We're mandating this for children, and it's experimental. I think the good news, if there's any good news in this, is that this is such a bridge too far. This is so over the top. This is so transparently about pharma's greed and their need for liability protection for these very dangerous and deadly products that I think it will wake up a lot more people, Bernadette. And I think there will be many, many states that will say, hell no, not us. And that will really open up a much deeper debate in the country about not only COVID shots, but about the childhood schedule. And of course you and I, in living through COVID, see enormous parallels to the childhood schedule. And I have to say, I was privileged to edit, recently co-edit the book Turtles All the Way Down, which is about all of the fundamental flaws In the childhood vaccine schedule and everything that we've seen in COVID that has been outrageous uh, is mirrored in the childhood schedule. So I actually think with this ACIP recommendation, there will be tremendous backlash and that that backlash will help to propel us forward towards literally taking this whole system down.
1: Yeah, I, I really agree. You and I both know and many of the people in the medical freedom movement, which compared to today was relatively small. Nobody wanted to hear. They thought it didn't impact them. A lot of people wanted to hide in their own corners and not speak up and stand up because they knew they'd be ridiculed if they did. And that's intentionally so. Right. The ridicule is seated is in, is it's not genuine. It doesn't come because vaccines are miracle products. You know, they are a consumer product that has risk, that has failure, but because they are public health tools and, and, I mean, it's even recorded in the Federal Register where they say, um, if we want to preserve the vaccine program, we have to preserve faith in it. So we can't let any bit, I've got it on my computer here, of the actual quote, yeah. any bit of criticism, no matter how factual, out there, because, gosh, people might not get it, you know? And the, oh, I, I had a thought exactly where I was going. Oh, we, I believe it was so systemic, the capture of our public health agencies and the three-letter oversight agencies, HHS, CDC, FDA, all of them have had really become just corporate arms. Yeah, I mean absolutely. they're marketing arms. The marketing they're they're arms.
6: absolutely just marketing arms of pharma.
1: Yeah, and and it became so visible and you know, sometimes I describe it as like, like there was this alien spaceship hovering over the planet, but it was cloaked and only you and I could see it. And Bobby Kennedy, you know, and and all these other people have been in it for a long time. And we're pointing up and they're going, you guys are crazy. I don't see anything. But now, excuse me, that, that, that UFO hovering up there is working so hard to capture us that it's using so much energy. It, Kind of accidentally unclogged it. Burned off itself. Off cloud, right? It burned off the
0: cloud. And everybody's yeah.
1: looking up going, go, uh-oh. And they're like, Bernadette, okay, tell me more. What <laughs> what do you got? I'm like, okay, well, you know, and it's all and once you see it, so once you, you see the propaganda, you
6: can't unsee it.
1: You can't unsee it. Our side is growing exponentially. And ex-
6: absolutely. So yeah. yeah, the the you know, the reality is is they're throwing trillions of dollars at this issue, right? The vaccine passports, the boosters, the propaganda to the media, um, the enforcement mechanisms, they're throwing billions and trillions of dollars at this. Um, But on the other hand, their game is becoming so much more obvious and it's so much more deadly. These sudden deaths, the acknowledged myocarditis risk, the starting to be acknowledged other kinds of risks from these shots. It is... um, it's becoming much more obvious to much of the world. I mean, Paul Offit, the biggest cheerleader for the childhood vaccine program for the last 30 years is out there saying, I'm not going to take a booster and I don't recommend anybody take it. That's a sea change in the world that we've been in for the last 30 years. Yeah.
1: And I I have, now. this is just theory. My theory about Paul Offit is is twofold here. One, he doesn't have an MRNA fish in the game. I mean, he doesn't have a product. His, his life and his career and his money has been always been invested in the traditional um childhood pediatric style design vaccines and um adjuvanted with aluminum vaccines so what's interesting is while he is bad-mouthing a product for which he's not invested and he's sort of been pushed aside he is also bad-mouthing the cdc which recently came out with a study that that suggested or showed actually very clearly an association between the amount of aluminum adjuvant a child receives before the age of two and persistent asthma. So this is something that our community has, you know, the, the science has been there for a long time. CDC has refused to look or to do their own studies. But now that the industry has said they're putting all their money on mRNA-type technologies right. and they right. want to migrate from yeah. these old, this is when you are free to tell the truth about a product is when you want to phase it out in bringing something new. So... Um, what's interesting, though, is Paul Offit is angry at CDC for coming out with that asthma the study. They're,
6: right. <laughs> well, they're stealing his lunch. But it is nonetheless, despite all of those nuances, which are very real, it is a sea change to see people inside the vaccine paradigm fighting with one another. Um, things are becoming more clear. Yeah, Um, Also, just things just to say uh, again on this, remember, everybody was told for two years, oh, take the shot for granny. Take the shot for granny. You know, the children need to take it to protect the adults. This is you need to take your shot. You need to take your boosters to continue to protect the public. And now Pfizer, the government, everybody is acknowledging, well, these shots don't stop transmission. So there is no basis to discriminate against the unvaccinated after we just spent two years. Viciously discriminating against the unvaccinated. So there's a lot going on. It's honestly, Bernadette, it's it's hard to make sense of it all. To be honest with you, there's yeah. so much going on, um, both on the positive side and on the negative side, and on the chaos side, if yeah. you will.
1: Yeah. No. And me, here's me with more theories. So my theory is this, is that, you know, if you go to the global stage, to the World Economic Forum, which makes no secret about what, where they want the world to go economically, uh, government, they want one world government where... Peons like you and I own nothing and are happy. And right, exactly. You know, and that we, we just rent everything. Well, who are we renting from, Mary? I you know, somebody's know. making the money. But anyway, um, I, I feel like so. What's going on with all this pharmaceutical stuff and the vaccines and the vaccine passport? What I feel like is the global powers are using the pharmaceutical greed to their advantage in order to use fear of disease as the reason for people to willingly comply with handing over their freedom, Um, signing up to be tracked, becoming part of this digital system. You can do that when you tell, when people you, they have, you know they're they're using the greed of the biological pharmaceutical industry with their tools to serve their purpose but they're also y- using the best of humanity because people who bought into it really want to do what's best yeah. most humans are pretty nice people they don't right. want to make granny sick right. and they were lied to about whether the mask would work with the lockdown or right. the shots right? right but so they 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 used the best of humanity and i don't a lot of people are going to be angry when they really oh when they find out that they were betrayed like that no
6: bernadette i think there's going to be rage i think people's um loved ones have died from these lies um this absolutely is a fundamental betrayal and this is such a dark thing to abuse people's altruism to turn their their compassion against them and um, kill people. I mean, let's be very, very clear. These shots are killing people around the world. These sudden deaths, by all appearances, are absolutely related to these shots. Um, and lots of other risks are related to these shots. So this is a dark agenda. Um, I think that the World Economic Forum is very clear. They have eight points for twenty thirty. The first of which is you will own nothing and you will be happy. They're not saying they'll own nothing. They're just saying that we'll own nothing. But clearly they they seek a kind of global new form of governance. They want a multi, they say they want a multipolar world, but it's very clear that the fulcrum of that new order is meant to be the World Health Organization. The way in which they seek to impose this kind of global governance structure is through a pandemic treaty. They're trying to have that treaty signed up by 2024. One of the important 2020 goals that they haven't met, but it's still a goal for 2030, is for every human on the planet to have a digital ID. Clearly the vaccine passports were part and are part of that digital ID agenda. There's very serious efforts and conversations around the world for every global power, every major power, including the United States, to have a central bank digital currency so that all of our financial transactions are tracked and so that government authorities would be in a position to simply turn off the money spout. So it's more like sort of credit at the company store than a real instrument of exchange that's independent. So there are many, many things. And then not to mention 24-7 surveillance, right? Satellites in space, uh, antennas that have electromagnetic frequency and radiation being put everywhere so that we have so-called smart cities. And we have a surveillance grid that allegedly is going to make us have super fast downloads of videos, but we have to be really clear, it's also going to be a surveillance society, and there will be likely a social credit scoring system, much like in, as in China. So we have to understand that the vaccine piece of all of this is a small piece in this overall control grid. And this overall control grid is being formulated by a, the billionaires boys club, I call it. Um, it. You know, these are these are billionaires, and uh, they want to keep their control. And I think accurately, they understand that nobody wants this except for them. And the only way that they'll be able to preserve this control is through some kind of control system. And I think it's too expensive. It's simply too expensive to have uh, soldiers at every corner with guns everywhere around the world, which is sort of the old fashioned means of control. They are hypothesizing and creating a whole new control grid um
1: and our job is to make sure it never comes to pass. Yeah. Exactly. And thank you so much for that. You you've got such a brilliant mind for holding on to those details. I I I see that I read it but I you know I haven't had uh, been able to spend the time to really go down the rabbit hole and capture all of those um all of those points. Um let's if you don't mind turning a little bit, could you update it, people? We've got your book here that you wrote several years ago with with others, with Eileen Iorio, Kim Mack Rosenberg, um, the HPV vaccine on trial. But a lot has that book is still very relevant, highly recommended because it's the it's the clinical trial fraud that Merck did. Um, and it's the basis of all these lawsuits coming. But so much has happened. Could you let us know what's going on now with Gardasil? Sure. I can bring you up to speed a little bit. We, we need
6: to come out with a new edition, Bernadette, which we haven't done yet. The book came out in 2018 and um, about four years ago. So a lot has happened. Let me start with the really exciting good news. Is that in the process of writing the book, we got in touch with a lawyer named Saul Adjelot out in California, and he had a case on behalf of a young woman, Jennifer Roby, who was permanently severely injured by her Gardasil shot. And he took her case to the vaccine injury compensation program where she was turned down, and he then filed in civil court. And I think that Merck didn't really take the case very seriously, and Merck actually appeared. They did not move to dismiss the case. And so the case was actually in discovery by the time it came to our attention, and we brought Bobby Kennedy on board, and we brought on board a major national law firm, baum Headland, and they became very deeply interested in the Gardasil fraud. And so where we are today is very exciting, is that there will be a trial starting in the Western District of North Carolina in 2023, and it is a consolidated case of tens, if not hundreds, of Gardasil injury cases that have already gone through the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program. And there is a um, loophole, if you will. There is a provision in the 1986 Act that says – that you actually can go to civil court, state or federal court for fraud. If the vaccine manufacturer defrauded the health regulators, you can go to civil court and you can try your case and you even can sue for punitive damages. And so that's what this case is doing because Merck 100%, as we, I think, make very clear in the book, Perpetrated a tremendous fraud. There's not a single case. It was so the, the HPV vaccines they now say you know, are good for a million different things, but they the, the design was allegedly to prevent cervical cancer. This was this whole new market, right? This idea that viruses cause cervical cancer, may cause other cancers. And, um, they used what they called surrogate endpoints, which was sort of a more severe infection, viral infection of the cervix as a marker for cervical cancer, which takes 20, 30 years to develop, very easily preventable with pap screening. Um, so, they made this fraud that this shot, that this vaccine in several doses would prevent cervical cancer. It's never been proven to prevent a single case of cervical cancer ever. In point of fact, the demographic data that's come back since it went on the market. Shows us that the rates of cervical cancer have actually increased in the countries with the highest HPV vaccine
1: uptake, and they they added boys. They added to boys get for
6: penile cancer, which is like two hundred cases a year in the United States. So again, throat, this is just nose a money, throat. nose and throat. They sort of have these allegations that it helps with that. No but,
1: science linking them, proving it at all. No, there's no yeah.
6: proof. The the, the, the um, clinical trials were about cervical cancer, and we show from the clinical trial data that even the FDA a flagged for public attention that in fact, for women, who are not tested before they get that vaccine, if they had a cervical, um, if they had a a viral infection of the cervix, or if they had antibodies to the strains in the shot, they had a higher risk of getting cervical cancer. And there are hundreds of cases of cervical cancer that have developed after women get these shots, not to mention the deaths, not to mention the Guillain-Barre syndrome, not to mention the POTS cases, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. Not to mention neurological harms, not to mention fertility harms. I really, when I look back, Bernadette, I'm very glad that we spent quite a bit of time writing that book about the HPV vaccine scene, Seeking Justice for a Generation Betrayed, because in many respects, that HPV vaccine rollout with its uh, fast-tracked approval through the FDA and its massive advertising campaign and its speedy uh, induction into countries around the world. It's the closest thing to what we've seen with COVID. And so I think... Kim and Eileen and I, my co-authors, we were very much on the lookout for what would be the frauds in COVID. And mm-hmm. um, there's nothing new under the sun. All of the techniques that Merck used, um, and also Glaxo in their Cervix HPV vaccine, these were um, used
1: again in COVID. Can you be specific about what you're seeing the spe- what was similar? Specific parallels, yeah. mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, well, so HPV
6: wasn't in the context of an emergency. So they used this fast tracking process. And we have a chapter in the book where we explain a chapter and verse. There was no basis for the fast tracking. That's fairly similar to this idea of COVID being Operation Warp Speed and getting emergency use authorization. Fast, fast, fast. Nobody really has a chance to scrutinize this in the mm-hmm. way that you'd want it to be scrutinized. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also a fear porn campaign, right? For the cervical... For for HPV vaccines. They 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 were sort of guilt tripping moms, mom, dad. Did you know you could have prevented my cancer if you'd only given us this? Advertising to children. That's also been done with the COVID shots. Big Bird is advertising COVID shots. So using children to affect their parents to get them to get them the vaccines. Um, the clinical trial manipulation. So in the HPV clinical trials, one of the outrageous things about the HPV clinical trials was that instead of using true placebos, which they generally hadn't done, but this was a new vaccine for Gardasil. So they ethically had an obligation to use true placebos. The largest so-called placebo group, we called the faux group, they had it spiked with aluminum. Aluminum in and of itself is highly toxic, it's especially going to
3: the, the AHS. AHS, right. Exactly. This was a
6: super toxic form of aluminum adjuvant. And so the girls who got the uh, the so-called placebo, the faux with aluminum, they were going to suffer exactly the same uh, side effects that the girls who got the HPV vaccine got. And they did. They, they had the same rates of autoimmunity, which is outrageous. They, they, they Had they gotten the saline group and there was a tiny group that still wasn't saline, it was everything else in the shot, but it didn't have the aluminum, it didn't have the antigen. They had much lower rates of injury. So that was one of the, that was the, the key manipulation in, or one of the key manipulations of the clinical trials for Gardasil. In COVID, to my mind, the, 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 the principal manipulation is that after two months um, of people being post vaccine and they allege that, oh, these people have been prevented from getting COVID, they then unblinded the study. They said, oh, you can now go and get your COVID shot because it's so wonderful. It's so effective. So we have no, and they did this in Gardasil as well. There's no long-term follow-up. We will never know what the true risks were after two months for COVID or Mm -hmm. after a shorter, like 18 months for Gardasil. This is not science. This is all about marketing and hiding the harms and what, People need to understand is these companies have tremendous incentives to hide the harm, and the way they do that is in part through propaganda, uh, which is advertising, but and propaganda through the government and putting it on the schedule and having all of the health authorities uh, recommend it and mandate it, and it's also through censorship. So, at the very beginning of Gardasil, we did see major outlets talking about the harms of Gardasil and talking about the fact that girls were dying or the girls were being severely injured. And uh, within a couple of years, that completely stopped Bernadette. Basically, it was a third rail issue and no mainstream publication, no mainstream TV show would run uh, criticism of the HPV vaccine. Yeah. So there's tremendous parallels and um, tremendous injustice has been done to the people who've taken these shots. Some Thousands have died. There's been no investigations. That's another parallel to COVID. Mm -hmm. They simply track it in the vaccine adverse event reporting system and do nothing and they don't even always track it in the vaccine adverse event reporting
1: system. Right. So. And as we we've said uh, numerous times on this show that the tracking system suffers from severe underreporting. Um and with COVID there's been some studies done that looked at and it's at least 40-fold underreported at they least. believe for for COVID least, itself. Yeah. So you look at those at numbers and multiply it's huge.
4: Yeah.
1: Um but you know for that we've got about Mm, 15 more minutes, and I want to focus on the positive. Let's go back to the positive. Everybody, you know, I've been here uh, working the the table for, for CHD. I love that. And even before the booth was supposed to be open, we were swamped. People are coming up and it's a love fest. Thank you guys for what you're doing. And I'm taking the credit. You know, I don't work As for well you. As you should. As I'm well a, you should. I'm a volunteer and I love it. But I'm um, like, thank you other than being a complicated, you know, big answer. But yes, we love Children's Health Defense. This nation, the world loves Children's Health Defense. And they're so grateful. And what I always tell everybody comes up and it's like, thank you. But you know what? We exist because of you. And we won't win unless you do your part. And your part is to take what we do and disseminate it out there. You are the media now. Absolutely. So you take it, you tell everybody. Yeah. I mean, I, I tell you, Mary, people are sick of me. If I, if ever <laughs> I'm on the phone with like Verizon or any, any you know, Nobody gets away good without hearing something from Bernadette. You, Bernadette. If you're Bernadette. online at the grocery store with me for more awesome. than about 30 seconds, I, it. I can find a way to this issue with just, I, you know, I can work I my way it, there. Bernadette. I love it. It's
6: good for you. I think it's great.
1: But that's what we need to do. We it need is. to not need be to afraid of yeah. talking about the subject. Yeah. And you will be so, in all the years I've done this, I've only had one or two slightly negative experiences. But I've, most. Most people are like, "Oh, I'm so glad you said that." My grandmother, my mother, yeah. my whatever, yeah. and they're very grateful that somebody's yeah. willing to have the conversation. Yeah. So, so it's a love fest, and I would love for you to talk about now the wonderful growth we've seen with Children's Health Defense, Africa, um, uh, Australia. Sure. Just go. Sure. Yeah.
6: Well, so Bernadette, you and I have been in this movement a long time, and. Um, COVID has been awful, uh, you know, the, the, the stripping of our rights and the suppression of uh, effective treatments and the um, deadly treatments that were used and the segregation of people. It's been a very terrible time in many ways. But the, the flip side of that is that it has been a boom time for people waking up and understanding that medical tyranny is a really bad idea. Um, and so people have come to Children's Health Defense, and, and we're all just so profoundly grateful to Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who has really made this his life's calling. He has really taken lots of slings and arrows for all of us in the movement. Um, he is prominent, and he has stood up valiantly, and he will not back down. And he's made it very clear, like, he's he's never going to back down because what we're doing is just wrong. We are We are sacrificing innocent lives of children around the world, so we've got to stop it. So during COVID, um, I came on just before the pandemic, (laughs) just in time, which was a blessing. I was there for a few months uh, before January 2020 uh, when all hell broke loose. And since then, we have been on a truly wild ride and we have expanded greatly in terms of our staff, in terms of our chapters, in terms of the issues that we're covering, uh, in terms of our litigation efforts. Every dimension of Children's Health Defense has expanded. So within, within the mission, of Children's Health Defense. Let me just articulate a couple of things. So our mission explicitly is to... Stop to to stop the epidemics of chronic disease among children. Over 50% of American children have some kind of chronic condition. um, To hold those accountable responsible or those responsible accountable and to ensure that it never happens again. And we seek to do that by upholding the constitution to preserving our democracy and preserving our constitutional rights. So within that framework, we have four pillars. We have advocacy, education, litigation, and science. And in each of those four areas, we have, as I said, expanded greatly. So I'll tell you a few of the things that we've done in the last couple of years. So in science, uh, we have Brian Hooker, a prominent scientist in our community, the star of the movie Vax. Uh, as our scientific director. And he's been able to publish papers. He's been able to evaluate records from pediatric practices of children who've been vaccinated and unvaccinated. He does a science show for us. He has uh, does lots of commentary. Um, and we have a team of fellows. We now have a fellowship program. We have several science fellows who've been doing just fantastic work for us, analytical work, of uh, of scientific. We try to stay abreast of the science. We have a massive library on our website of the science. Uh, so that's one dimension. Um, in the area of advocacy, we have an advocacy staff and we have a chapters staff. So we have 25 chapters, I believe. We have chapters in Africa, in Europe. Uh, we're starting one in Latin America. We have over 20 chapters in the United States. We work with groups like Informed Choice Washington. We work very closely with lots of other groups. We are not the be all and the end all. We need to have lots of different groups reflecting different needs, different states, different different people, different environments. Um, but we're working in advocacy. We have on our website flyers. We have uh, social media campaigns. We have films um so advocacy is very closely related to education in the education area we have a daily newspaper which we just came on board if you can believe it i think it's just a year ago yeah the defender the defender i think it's just a year old which i think that's right or is it two years old time flies you guys but it's a fantastic daily newsletter and we also now in the last year it's two years we have children's health defense tv and we have 18 hours worth of programming every week we have a major social media effort and then i have been most deeply involved as general counsel with litigation we have well over 50 lawsuits i was just counting we have two cases going to the supreme court right now we have two cases before the ninth circuit court of appeals we have a case before the third circuit court of appeals we have two cases before the second circuit <laughs> court of appeals we have cases in federal and state court around the country i'm just
1: i'm just so enjoying like you're just you you you're brilliant mary <laughs> She just goes, Um, I'm just, I'm just trying
6: to stay on top of this Bronco. Okay.
1: Yes. And, but tell us a little bit about some of these, pick one or two court cases that you're doing to to inform people. So
6: let me, let me tell you about one of the court cases that I'm still optimistic about So back uh, in 2019, before the pandemic, we sued Facebook, we sued Mark Zuckerberg, and we sued the fact checkers. And we had to sue them in the Northern District of California, which is a jurisdiction that's not very favorably inclined towards health freedom, let's be clear. And we sued them because they have liability protection under the Communications Decency Act, Section 230. This is a widely discussed topic right now. They have liability protection from what they publish so long as they're just an internet service provider. Um, If they just take content from you or me and they throw it on their platform, you know, they're not responsible for what we put up. But they are responsible if they put up their own content. And starting in 2019, we have been severely censored. And the way they do that is they put up a sign on our website on their platform that says, "Don't." Re- it says, "Go to the CDC for up-to-date information. Go to the World Health Organization. You should use caution when you read this or warning. This is inaccurate information." So they were putting content on our website, which should overcome you mean on, on your Facebook on our page. Facebook page. Yeah. Sorry, not our website. You're yeah. right. My mistake. Okay. On our Facebook page. They also demonetized us. We had a, um, a button where we could get donations and they decided that we were unworthy of donations. Anyway, we brought a case in the district court in California. We lost and we are still on appeal to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. And this issue of censorship and this issue that is now so plain to us that the government has been telling big tech, to censor people like us, Mm -hmm. to keep their narrative of COVID and the emergency and no early treatments abreast and the vaccines are wonderful. Um, So we're still waiting for a decision from the Ninth Circuit. One of the things we've learned through the lawsuit brought by the attorney generals of Missouri and Louisiana against the Biden administration for their censorship of information about elections and information about COVID, is that they, the the Biden administration, the federal government, has been telling big tech, unquestionably, you need to censor this. You need to censor this person. They've been talking about Bobby Kennedy. They've been talking about children's health defense. So I am very hopeful, Bernadette, I am very hopeful that very soon we will be hearing from the Supreme Court on this issue of the government telling big tech to censor. Um, health freedom information. And the government could, well, big tech will say, oh, well, we were doing it because we really wanted to. That's completely implausible. And the mm-hmm. case law that exists says that if they're doing it under duress, even if they're doing it as joint action, that violates the Constitution, violates our First Amendment. Free speech, we cannot have a democracy without free speech and without the freedom of the press. So this is an issue that is very close to CHD. I can tell you about one other case I'm excited yeah, about Yeah, go if you have for time. it, yeah. So another case that I feel super, super strongly about is in New York State... Where I am, as you probably know, in 2019, um, the legislature with the guidance of the government repealed the religious exemption. But then immediately, based on what they had seen in California, they tightened by regulation, not by statute, not by law, but by regulation, the health department tightened medical exemptions. And they put in place a regulation that allows school boards school districts, and school principals to deny medical exemptions to children whose treating physicians say they need a medical exemption to vaccines. So literally putting these children's lives on the line. So we brought a class action on behalf of children before the pandemic who whose medical exemptions were denied by their school districts. And then during the pandemic, we actually went on an emergency petition to the Supreme Court to say, there's remote learning in New York State for the 2021 school year. Let these children participate in remote learning. And they didn't take that petition. Again, we're, this is uphill you know, litigation. We lost at the trial court, Bernadette. We lost at the Second Circuit Court of Appeals. But this petition about the insanity of school districts, non-medical personnel, making decisions to override treating physicians is now going to the US Supreme Court. Oh, so we can wow. only pray that this so you know the Supreme Court takes very few of the cases that it gets. Literally they, yeah. it's like one in a thousand. So it's the the odds are not great but I really hope that this issue that at a minimum we are educating the justices we are educating their clerks. The idea that a non-physician can veto a medical exemption is puts us all at risk.
1: Yeah. Can you explain to um, our viewers here, some of us who aren't attorneys, who don't understand the process, how you can bring something to a particular court and lose, and then go appeal to a higher court and lose, and then appeal to the ultimate, the Supreme Court and win? I mean, what is it? What is it about mm-hmm. the decisions at the lower mm-hmm. court that you know, how
3: does yes. that work?
6: Yeah, let me explain a little bit. And I'm very excited. We have a great new part of our website called Law 101. And we actually sort of explain a lot of these things that people do need to understand, to understand what's happening. So a trial court, so there we have two different legal systems. We have two different judicial systems in the United States. We have state judicial systems, and we have federal judicial systems. And you can basically as a plaintiff and attorneys for the plaintiffs, depending on what the legal issue is, you can choose whether you go to state court or whether you go to federal court. Some things you can't choose, but most of them are concurrent. And anyway, let's talk about the federal system for a minute. So for instance, this medical exemption case. So we filed that in a federal court in New York state um, and we lost there. There was and, a hearing. And
1: mm-hmm. what did, why did they, well, how did you lose? What did they say that, well, about your case that they said, no, you're not going to win? Right. So
6: generally speaking for cases like this, there's a written decision. So the judge did, Marshall reasoning. And the reasoning there was, well, this was passed by the Department of Health. Other important bodies like the, you know, the, the Medical Association of New York said it was a good thing. And um, you weren't right at that time. You didn't object immediately. And uh, we think that the school and the school districts, in fact, are consulting with physicians. So we don't think this is such a big deal. And we're just going to basically side with the New York State Department of Health.
3: And
1: that really, what you're explaining to me, really does sound like actual an individual opinion as opposed to really solid law.
6: Yes. We think that the law is solidly on our side, yeah. Bernadette. We think that the law is very clear from the Supreme Court in a case called Doe versus Bolton, which says that no hospital committee can override the view of a treating physician. No extraneous person can override
1: oh, a physician's- Wait a minute. You just said no hospital committee can override- a doctor. So what's going on with remdesivir and venting and ivermectin in the hospitals where all the hospital committees and the administration is tying the hands well, of Well, that's, that's
6: a slightly different issue, which is also one of our Things that we are addressing. We have a case, actually, I didn't mention we do have a case about a wrongful death from use of remdesivir going on right now, also on appeal. Yeah. Also going towards appeal. That's a little bit different because I think that's a standard of care issue. And it's similar though, because in this medical exemption context, the school districts are saying, oh, well, if the CDC doesn't say that this is, this should be a medical exemption, we're not going to consider it. But that's not the law. The law recognizes that if a state has licensed a physician, the person went to medical school, they did their internship, they did their residency, they have a license from that state that we have to put, we have to be able as patients to put our trust in that physician and that physician, that physician's recommendation based on treating us, based on our medical history, that must be respected by the state. Mm-hmm. So we feel like we're very. St- we feel like the law is on our side. Mm-hmm. So again, it, it, as is typical, the appellate court sided with the judge of the trial court. They the, typically what the appellate courts do is they look primarily to see that the lower court applied the law correctly. The trial court is the finder of fact and the law, mm-hmm. but the law is corrected or reviewed by the appeals court. And very few cases make it to the U.S. Supreme Court. It's about eighty cases a year, but. But the Supreme Court absolutely has the authority, it has the competence to take any of these cases that come to it. Mm -hmm. And it's possible that the Supreme Court would take one of these cases that's a long shot Wow. I mean, they do.
1: Okay, and that's that's a great place to leave it. You can see everyone. What a dynamo she is! Head, you know, president of Children's Health Defense, working with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and an amazing team. Um, and we you guys, an you're watching you this. Guys,
6: you're an amazing team. Yeah, you're we, part of the team. You're part of the team. You're yeah. uh, you're an absolutely essential, integral part of the team. We can't
1: do what we do without you can't, in any yeah. way. Yeah so so, keep donating what you can and most importantly take the information and share it with others right. keep grace in your heart some people it's going to take them a long time to see what needs done but they'll get there just keep loving your heart for it and Mary as always fantastic thank spending time that. with Likewise. you thank you for the information you you've been listening to Inform Life Radio on and KKNW and CHD TV um, we're going to go back and enjoy this great conference and you all take
7: care god bless if you're looking for a publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day then look no further than the flame paper the flame paper is written for the people by the people who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative be it health care voter fraud political correctness or even the one world government The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com.
3: Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy, but we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit Children'sHealthDefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit Children'sHealthDefense.org today.
0: Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you.